I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! This is the Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue 156. Vince sitting with Nick. Hello, everyone. Hello. And DMF. <laughs> Hello, everyone. So this week, we're back after our big five-year celebration show. I hope everybody really enjoyed that show. Do you guys have a chance to listen to that show? I unfortunately have not. <gasps> yes, I know. I, yeah, I, I'm a bad producer. I'm going to lie and say I did. <laughs> what, Matt? I'm a bad producer. I don't listen to my show. Mm, well, you're fired. Again? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Matt actually took it seriously. He just disconnected his microphone. I think he's gone. <laughs> no, I actually have a kitten in my uh, recording studio at this point, so I'm trying to avoid kitty cat chaos. Oh, yeah. Cats like to chew, chew on the <laughs> Yeah. The, the joys of having a home that, for the amount of rooms it has, has a severe lack of doors. Meow. <laughs> I guess you and your uh, girlfriend decided to get a little kitty cat now? Yeah, actually, it kind of found us. Uh, we were over at her mom's, like, over Labor Day weekend. Like, mm. we were just sitting outside, and all of a sudden, this little tiny kitten, maybe, like, it was, like, seven weeks old, just wanders up all scrawny, like, meow. And we're like, oh, we have to keep him. Well, actually, it's a her, so. Now we have three cats in my house, so we have our uh, crazy cat people starter kit. <clears throat> yes. You know, having a cat is like having a frat boy in your house. Yeah. Because they eat everything, and they poop and pee on everything and destroy your furniture. Mm-hmm. He's right. Yeah, pretty much. Well, now I invite you to watch Simon's Cat on YouTube if you ever have a chance. That little cartoon is amazing, especially if you own cats, folks. You'll, yeah. laugh, you'll laugh your butt off. <laughs> cats are for Satan. Hey. We kill, kill puppies for Satan. Remember, that's a game. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, it's a game. Oh, remember oh. that? Look oh. it up. Send me the link. <laughs> Easy to find. Google "kill puppy for Satan." Okay, got it. Anyway, uh, Nick, do we have any reviews? Yes, we do. We have reviews on iTunes. Uh, so, if you ever go to iTunes, go to the iTunes store. Type in. Roll for initiative, and you can track us down from there for reviews. We have three of them. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is from Surrender Monkey seventy two, <laughs> and he gives us three stars. He or she gives us three stars, and Y M M V, which means your mileage may vary. So, and Surrender Monkey seventy two says for 
for better or for worse, these guys, along with the rest of the WGP lineup, pretty much dominate the stage when it comes to discussion of old school games in the podcasting sphere. If you're an old school gamer and really enjoy hearing people talk about things you like, this might be the podcast you were looking for. These guys do communicate a passion for their material that many people find infectious. I get flashes of that, but am just as often put off by their tribalistic tone and lack of discipline, which really takes over during their predictably peevish digressions on D&D iterations of the Watsi era. So that's just the show, dude. <laughs> what else can we say? Matt, Vince? Yeah. And nah, <laughs> that's us. <laughs> Take it or leave it. So, um, anything else? That's from Surrender Monkey seventy two. Well, thank you. So it is what it is, man. Uh, we have another one from DM Chad. Oh, <gasps> Chad is writing in a review. I guess Chad's DM not here Ch- verified either. So five stars. He says, "Out of the mouths of kobolds," and kobolds is spelled wrong. Oh. Um. How do you spell it? He spelled K-O-B-A-L-D-S. Maybe it's a joke. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your insight and info. A lot is very helpful with new ideas or angles. This pod was awesome for me to help me getting better dungeon description and keep my game from being just black and white. Now I can make it HD. We're the High Definition Podcast, folks. Welcome to I, of High Definition. Yes. When I heard about the small specs books, I downloaded it right away. I do enjoy your show. I'm telling others about it, but wish they would take it in tow so they could get to enjoy you guys. Thanks. Keep up the good work. He must be talking about those uh, those description booklets about like doors and hallways and stuff that we did. Those oh. were really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Those were really fun. They really add a little bit of flavor to your dungeon. So that was DM Chad. Thank you. It all fits. Just want to let you know that uh, next week, uh, Roll for Initiative will also be coming in high definition, along with in Espanol. Oh, al Espanol. Where in a few weeks, we're working on the 3D version. Mm-hmm. In your living room real soon. How about deep hurting version? <laughs> no, just in Espanol. Oh, okay. Uh, our last review, then, is Audio from... podcast with subtitles. With subtitles. <laughs> Try and read those, folks, if you can. Oh, my God. Matt, you sent him a no prize. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Our last review is from Jim Stubblefield. It's a five-star review. He says, got me playing old school again. I left gaming for many years and came back to it in 2010. After 20 years of absence from the hobby, I returned to games like Stormbringer, Call of Cthulhu, etc. Your show got me interested in AD&D once again. Well, thanks, Jim Stubblefield. Glad you get your interest in all that stuff. That's what we try to do. Cool. Try to get more people into the herd and weed out the ones we don't like. Cool. So, <laughs> again, you could get us on um, iTunes. And just type in Roll for Initiative on your iTunes search, and you can send us all your reviews there. We are at 185 reviews right now, guys. 15 more reviews or a 200. Come on, folks. Come on. Operators are standing by. Yes, that's correct. And just to let you know that Wild Games Productions does not condone any comments by Nick in the last couple of seconds. Oh. <laughs> Good disclaimer. 
Yeah, we can have to trail that after every comment you make. But if you do want to call us. 570-865-4210. That's the hotline. And properly. uh, There, I screwed up. Kobolds are standing by and their names are spelled correctly. Nick just gained a person that doesn't like him again. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I like poking fun at people. If I don't poke fun at you, it doesn't mean I, it means is I that, don't like you. Matt, is that cyberbullying maybe? Possibly. We yeah, may they, need to send him to sensitivity training. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, against reductions, we don't have a sensitivity training first ever with Nick. Yes. Hey, you know what? Last time I was sent to quote unquote sensitivity training, it was a cat of nine tails. <laughs> Again, uh, we do not condone the comments by Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, that's your idea of sensitivity, Dre. I don't want to go. <laughs> <sighs> Nick. <laughs> so uh, anybody have any gaming news? Matt, we'll start with you. Doing anything gaming or just moving mostly? Uh, the moving's pretty much under control at this point. Um, unfortunately, though, as my life's calmed down and schedules opened more, my gaming groups decided, hey, let's start uh, traveling and doing other things. So, we're kind of, <laughs> yeah, oh, we actually are gaming tonight uh, some sort of board game because once the holidays roll around, meeting every Sunday just doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's it, a little tough around. Yeah, I am working on uh, we're talking about restarting our Ravenloft campaign. So I Ooh. yeah, I actually am working on making my own domain for Ravenloft um, based on the Disney movie Frozen. This is wait a minute. This is the campaign. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the one where they had that like freaky little girl that they found? Yes. And her small brother. So they and have, her small brother. So, yes. so okay. they have two children with them. Yes, yes, yes. Running okay. through Ravenloft, and right now they're on a boat. In- so you're now you're going to base a Ravenloft campaign off of Frozen? Yes. They, 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 their ship, because I really need to get them off that stupid ship, because I want them to do land travel. Mm. And their their response is, hop on the boat and sail away every time bad stuff happens. And they're playing Come Sail Away by yes. Sticks. Well, and, then, and then plus, they also probably have about 5,000 pounds of coins on the ship at the, the what do what do kids do best when they have when they get bored? They cause chaos. Kids can start fires, right? Well, oh, yeah. at this point, I've uh, the youngest boy's actually taken a liking to the dwarf because they're similar height and thinks of him a giant <laughs> cuddly teddy bear. Oh boy! Yeah, um, I have plans for the children once they get to Castle Ravenloft, but uh, until they the uh, the characters are of sufficient level to deal with Strahd, uh, I'm running them through things, and I've been thinking of. Frozen, and all and all you would have to do is when Anna goes and meets Elsa in the ice castle for the first time, and Elsa accidentally zaps her. Anna dies at oh. that at that point. The and just becomes an icicle. At that point, the entire movie falls apart. Elsa never gets redeemed, and she just gets angry and bitter that her sister's dead. She has these powers she doesn't want. Rawr, up in ice castle, Hans, the evil prince who was pretending to love Anna just for the sake. Of getting the throne now actually has the throne because he was left in charge and she never comes back. So you have the despot ruling Arendelle while Elsa the Dark Lord is up in her ice castle. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yes, and then and then Elsa also has her giant i uh, like snow monsters and whatnot. Snow golems. Yes, snow golems. 
So you yes. have all of this, and all of a sudden you've taken a one of the more popular Disney movies and made it into a Ravenloft game. <laughs> I picture uh, snow golems, ice golems, ice trolls. Yes. Maybe a more hazard, too. Right. I was actually Ooh. thinking of making Elsa, though, and more of like a sorcerer as opposed to like a magic user because she just can spew this stuff off without even trying. But it's all <sighs> only limited to ice based spells. You can have like skeletons encrusted with ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's just, creepy. Yes. There's just... And they can have like glowing blue eyes in the sockets. The, oh. I've, I'm also imagining like as people like try to go find her and have, bring her back to save Arendelle. She was like, do you love my sister? And they'll be like, uh, no. Oh. Well, you're no use to me because she needs to find true love. An act of true love to thaw out her sister. And then uh, if she finds someone that says, yes, you do, you just met her. No, you can't. Boom. She kills them. Well, you're then you're doomed either way. It's Ravenloft. Yeah, good point. You're doomed if you don't. Wow. Right. She's gone. The catch 22 of campaign worlds. Yes. <laughs> so I'm thinking of sticking my players there. That's really cool because I love like snow, tundra, ice campaign settings. Man, you could go crazy with it, especially with undead. Oh man! Oh yes, the the ice zombies. Like ice. because it won't. Just imagine, like uh, if all of a sudden, like since everything is just frozen and like people, they weren't. Arendelle wasn't prepared for this flash winter in the middle of summer, and they so they don't have all the supplies. So if famines hit the area, well, you know you're going to have to have one snow golem named Olaf. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Olaf will be like the one bat, like the comic relief. I think I'll leave Olaf (laughs) as he is. And he really just wants Olaf and I love to give hugs. I like warm hugs. And maybe he wants to travel away from Arendelle with the players. (laughs) They have to figure out a way to keep him from melting. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on right now. That's very cool. I like that. It just seems. You'd be kind of kind of tongue in cheek with it. It'd be right. really fun, right? Especially if you play it really straight to begin with, so the players yeah. see how long it takes them to figure out they're in Frozen. Mm-hmm. They're just like all of a sudden, oh, they're in the ice. Wait a minute, we're in Frozen. <laughs> Your gaming group isn't listening right now because now they know. Yeah. Well, they'll Uh-oh. just have to let it go. Oh, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So what have you guys been up to? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. For Halloween, we did a little change of pace. We did Call of Cthulhu game. Cool. Uh, just like a one-off. I uh, really had fun with that. Uh, we did um, a game where it was what was the what was the scenario? Trail of Yig. But the scenario they had all went to a seance. In Arkham, they were all invited by this 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 woman who's a, a medium, and um, one of the characters had this family heirloom of a ring of a serpent with ruby eyes. I even found a, a cool picture of it online I was going to use. And soon as the medium, when she had her spirit guide in her, touched the ring, she's like, what's this? What's this? Oh, no, no. Throws it away. And she gets out of her trance. She says, excuse me, I'll come back down in a few minutes. And then the maid goes, oh, no, she's dead. She hung herself. And then the whole game kind of goes from there, trying to figure out you know, why she died, 
you know, why did she hang herself? What's this about Yig and everything? What's so? It was a really cool game. They really had some fun. It was a small group too. It was only like four players, which is perfect. And um, I think the the characters we had a uh, we had a Catholic priest. A uh, there was a scientist, a inventor, an inventor, and no, not an inventor. Uh, I'm sorry, a private investigator. And uh, a journalist, and the journalist, you know, it was a woman journalist. She was the one that had the uh, this ring. So an interesting mix of characters, I thought. And uh, it was really cool. They destroyed the threat. Got a little creepy. We had some. We had some. Uh, I had some creepy music going. My my friend Jeff even had uh, had a smoke machine going when I needed it. So it was pretty cool. Really fun. And um, and I think for November we're gonna have our our standard Thanksgiving potluck game where everybody brings something to eat and we all pig out. <laughs> so, and that'll be going back to the our my uh, Castle Greyhawk Mega Dungeon campaign. So cool. Yeah, really. Having, they're really having some fun with that. So it'll be it'll be really good to get back to that and having our potluck. I think I might be making rat on a stick. So. Mm. No, it's really good. It's just hamburger filled with cheese on a stick. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, shaped like a rat. Ooh, it's just shaped like a rat. It's okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and and that's pretty much it on the gaming front. Uh, but I do have one thing I want to share with all of our listeners. No, wait. Is, save that. Save that for a second. Oh yes. Yeah, then let's hear about Vincent. I'm sorry. Let's hear about your gaming experiences over the past. We gotta, few we got to transition properly, Nick. We can't just jump right into the. <laughs> sorry, it just popped into my head. I'm just really excited about telling about this thing. Oh yeah, I know. I'm well, sorry, Vincent. Go no, ahead. Denied. We're not, we're not talking about it. Never mind, folks. Ignore. In fact, Matt erased the rest of that. Okay. Yes. He is <laughs> sufficiently purged happened. from history. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, I haven't been doing much gaming myself real quick. I actually did start playing in a 5th edition game. <gasps> I told you I would try it at least at least three times to make my final decision. So, game one happened. Two more to go. We'll find out. Okay. Okay, then. Very cool. And yeah. any initial ideas, concepts, opinions? Uh, after the... Are well, the only thing that was really confusing, that because I'm playing a paladin... And I was very confused because they dropped the alignment restriction for paladins completely. Uh, so my paladin's lawful neutral. And he's on this thing. They have paths that you follow now. And he's on a path of vengeance. So let's see what happens to him. Okay. Like a paladin now can be evil or any alignment pretty much. The alignment restriction is gone completely. So it's kind Strange. of weird. Strange. Okay. Yeah. You, now you just follow the oath that you've taken. That's all. All right. Yeah, yeah. And so so it's basically, kind of, Paladin is just an, a knight class, sounds like. Kind of, yeah. But you still have the abilities of a Paladin, so. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to do? Mm. Something to try, something different. Okay. So uh, just before we get into, since we're getting into the advertising, and Nick's going to advertise a place in just a second, uh, do us a favor. Go to RollForInitiativePodcast.com. Click on the link. If you're ever going to buy anything off of Amazon, every click gives us a few little pennies to help support the show if you purchase something. No prices aren't different. 
no, it won't be any more or any less. It's going to be the standard. Ad- we just get the advertiser fee help of a penny. Ooh. So that penny helps. So <laughs> every little penny helps. Uh, and if you're interested in uh, your 30 minutes or less, a podcast about gaming in general, Dungeons and Dragons, Brainstorm Podcast Think Tank. You can go to brainstorm, uh, brainstormpodcast.info for more information for a generic D&D podcast. No editions covered. It's every edition. It's mostly focusing for game masters and players, how to improve their game. Check it out, brainstormpodcast.info. Or you can search for brainstorm-think tank on iTunes. Nick, you had something you want to advertise. Yeah, I went to, to a new bar. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, when I heard about this place, it was like finally a place for all of us gamer geeks to go to. It's a gamer, gamer geek bar. It's called the SideQuest Bar. It's in Lakewood, Ohio. It's a uh, suburb of Cleveland. And let me uh, let me tell you, it is a really, really, really fun place to go to. So uh, my my friend Jeff heard about it at uh, Con on the Cop. They had flyers and stuff there, and um, he sent me an email says we got to go to this place and check it out. It sounds really cool, and um, so we went on a on a Wednesday night. Uh, we went to the bar, and as soon as you get in, you see a uh, on the left hand side they got an old pinball machine. I mean, old, like, analog pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some tables and some chairs. There's a couple of tables de- devoted for gaming. They have a wall of of board games of various different types, ranging from, like, Trivial Pursuit to um, some more complex of your European-style games, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So and they charge like a buck a person uh, to to take one of their games to play, which is, I think is fine. You're going to be in their their bar and you're going to sit there. They have a they have a fully stocked bar, and it is pretty amazing. If you like uh, micro brews, hmm. this or if you like mixed drinks of any type, this is really a place that you need to go to. It's really really fun. Um, the, uh, one of the, uh, bartenders, Mike, uh, he had, they had on tap at the time since it's, uh, this was late October. They had uh great lakes brewery, Nosferatu on tap, which is excellent on tap by the way. And they have all these other micro brews. They also have some special drinks. They had one called the, uh, the Sonic screwdriver. Uh, they had butter beer. So, like, some themed drinks are kind of, like, around geek geek culture, gaming culture, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they have a, a pretty decent menu for, uh, you know, like, pub, pub grub, like uh, the the nados, curly fries with garlic mayo. Incredible. Very, very good. They have all these different uh, – there's also a selection of, like, egg rolls that you could get. Uh, the robot buffalo chicken egg rolls are really, really good. They got cream cheese, celery, smoked blue cheese, puree dip. Burgers of different types. And the burgers are are um, all, they're like slider type burgers. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and um, the names you got one called the uh, the Biff fried pickle brine chicken coleslaw and hot sauce. Why not Zoidberg, which is calamari and spicy room roomalade? So kind of gourmet burgers. Um, I had the shark jumper, yeah, which is bacon, beef patty, bacon, onion jam, bacon, and bacon mayo. Wait, bacon? Oh, yeah, bacon. Making sure. Yeah, yeah it was really good. Um, so are all these, they also have uh, <laughs> uh, imported from England real jelly babies for all you Doctor Who fans. So they have real jelly babies. They also have a hot dog called the K9. So it's a hot dog with coleslaw, barbecue sauce, and potato crispies on top. They also had a special for that night because all through the week, they have uh, like a special theme night. And that one night, Wednesday night, they were pl- they had team cards against humanity. So they're having cards against humanity that night, which was really fun to watch. And Sam, the owner, who said – he didn't find out till later. Or well, on now he was named after Samwise Gamgee out of the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, books. So Sam, really cool guy, and talking with him, just we're telling about some of the stuff that we like from our breweries. He's taking notes, so he's really interested on everybody about to make this place the the side quest bar, you know, for all of us gamers. But they had a burger called Burger Against Humanity. It is kind of like the Shark Jumper. So it was like a bacon burger, but it had jalapenos and a ghost pepper mayo. No. Yeah. I should have said no. No. Yeah, you should have said no. Ghost pepper. Because I paid for it later. Oh. (laughs) But it was really good. It was really good. So if there's like a, if you ever go there and there's a theme for the night, there might be something not on the menu that might be a themed item for food. So they sometimes do that. And uh, so, um, yeah, they got TVs all around the bar. And I know on, I think on Saturday nights, if I remember correctly, they have like, Saturday nights, they have Doctor Who night, so you could go there uh, to their uh, website, thesidequestbar.com. You go to events, and like for this month's calendar in November, they have uh, Mario Mondays, uh, board games free. There's a book club on Tuesdays, new comic book night uh, on Wednesday, and... They also have American Horror Story they're going to have on. They have a Geeks doc, a Geeks Who Drink Pub Quiz. The Geeks Who Drink Pub Quiz. So that's going on on Thursday. Uh, that was this week. And this past Saturday was Doctor Who. So they always they got stuff that goes on all seven days of the week. So you could check out their events calendar and might find something you enjoy doing. And they're open to, if you want to have gaming there, if you want to bring your gaming group, they're into something like that. So a place for us to all go. <laughs> so I highly recommend the SideQuest uh, bar. Uh, Sam, the owner, Mike, was really great. And Amber, another one of the bartenders. 
wonderful people. So if you're ever up in the Cleveland area, check out the SideQuest bar. Yeah. 10 out of 10 swords. Cool. Yeah. So if you guys ever come up, you ever, you know, Vince or Matt, we're going. Oh, absolutely. Were there, uh, were there actually people playing any games there at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I got pictures of people that were playing some game where they had like, uh, like, you know, those old, <coughs> excuse me, those old type of like uh, suction cup dart guns. Yes. They were playing a game with all that where they were all pointing them at each other. I don't know what game it was, but it looked really fun. I took a picture of it. <laughs> Get those over to Matt so we can throw them on the web. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I'm also going to, next time I'm going to go there, you know, I got some games here. They're just collecting dust. I'm going to donate them. Ooh, all right. Definitely donate them to them. So it, they're always looking for some games that I I knew what really hit it for me is they had a box of the old Holmes D and D box set. Okay. Seeing it up there. I'm like, Oh, this is my place. <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> so wish there could be more of those places around the United States. It'd be nice. You know what? There is a calling for it. There is, there is, a, I think a big enough of a subculture base to support something like that. So. Cool. Yeah. Matt, you had something to interject with the herd or? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. It's just jealous. Yeah. I'm just bitter. We don't have that in Cincinnati. You have WKRP though. Yes. <laughs> if Sorry. you ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. So that's the sidequestbar.com, Nick? Sidequestbar.com. You go there, they have a events thing, they have their menu there, and um, yeah, just check it out if you're ever up here in Northeast Ohio. So check it out, folks, drool over it and like we will do, and maybe get an idea to go, hey, let me open up my own. Yeah. You know what? We need more places like this around. I mean, I like I said, I think there's enough people that are in the gaming culture, geek culture, comic books, in fact, now that I remember it, their menus are on those comic book, uh, uh, you know, those plastic comic book uh, holders. Yeah. And on the other side is a comic book. <laughs> oh, cool. So, so, yeah, they support all that. You know, Doctor Who fans, Star Wars fans. Uh, they had a Star Wars versus Star Trek night. Dress up as your favorite Star Wars or Star Trek character. So, yeah, come on. There's... So many, I, I would love to do that. I mean, what? sure. Cool. I, yeah. would, I, I like that now. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would do really well here in North Dallas, I'm telling you that. Oh, yeah, anywhere. Anywhere where there's a huge population. Dallas area? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah, there's so many gamers in here in Dallas, you have to, you know, run to not find one, so. <sighs> All right, so any any other news? No. no so, Vince, really. you need to start your own place there. Yes, I'm going to call it uh, the only give Nick Electrum pieces for experience. I'm good for that. Okay. <laughs> I like Electrum pieces. They're Fine. old. Only give copper to Nick, it's going to be called. Not copper. Copper. All right. Well, anyway, let's uh, head into some Sage Advice. Sage Advice. 
All right, Sage Advice this week. We do have some email. Uh, if you'd like to give us say, an email, go to uh, our webpage, RFI staff at, uh, RFIpodcast.com. You can click on the Contact Us and fill out the form. Send us an email. Uh, that's And if you don't want to send us an email from your actual email address, you can go to um, type in RFIstaff at gmail.com. If you want to voicemail, 570-865-4210, the hotline. First email comes in from J.V. West. And he says, RFI crew, I was just listening to number 154 on evil campaigns and had a few comments. DM Matt describes neutral evil as being a humanist. I don't think he meant it in that way. I think since humanist refers to a real system of ethics and morality, doesn't, that doesn't really map onto a D&D alignment. Slip of the tongue, maybe? Matt, you have a comment on that? Uh, when I say humanist, I was talking about uh, being more in the uh, self-centered, uh, you're the center of the universe sort of way. <laughs> That's how I meant humanism. All right. All right, and number two, he said, uh, neutral is a weird alignment, almost silly. It really just a midpoint on the spectrum between lawful and chaotic. So it's difficult to assign ideas to such a uh, kind of lack of concern. So, yeah. I don't know about lack of concern. I always thought of it someone who's trying to maintain the balance. Mm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, lawful simply refers to your way of interacting with the world, your meticulous order or, or deliberate way of handling things. Uh, chaos is just an absence of that, like a sliding scale. Or at least that's how I played. He says, keep it up. Great show, J.B. West. Thank you, J.B. West. Anything, okay. any comments, guys? Or? No? Or? No, that's cool. However he wants to see it, that's cool. Yeah, it's your game. You play it how you want. Mm-hmm. Nick, you have one more email. Yes, I do. Uh, and this one is from... Do, do, do. Sorry. Sir Thomas. Sir DM Sir Thomas, yes. And DM Sir Thomas says, Apologies to DM Nick for my Latin greetings. It's my calling card, LOL. To help for future reference, the greeting is pronounced Salwite Almike. It means greetings, my friends. I wanted to thank you guys for doing a really great discussion of my sage advice question in show number 153, Letters to the Editor. That was exactly the type of exchange I was seeking. I was the guy who had the teeny paladin who shape-changed into a falcon. Some comments on your responses. One, I was using the term ensorcelled to simply mean placed under the effects of a spell. However, as I looked it up now, it seems to be more specific to an enchantment slash charm or maybe illusion magic. Character placed under a charm person spell, for example, would be ensorcelled, while one roasted by a fireball would be just charbroiled. <laughs> Sorry about that. I wasn't trying to be pretentious or anything. I just like the way the word rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. All right. Two, thanks for DM Nick for his compliments on the uniqueness of my campaign setting. I've exchanged with DM Vince before on it, as he too seemed to find a neat change of pace from the more typical AD&D campaign settings. It's just a different way of having uh, Pujones, Gladiae, and Venum, which is Latin for daggers, swords, and wine, rather than the usual words and cultures. Also, gratitude to DM Nick for his recognition I've tried to do a bit of historical research for the campaign. It's still alternate Rome rather than historical Rome, but I figure the nearer to history, the more immersive the experience for the players. 
were approximately 80 BC, a generation before Rome's first triumvirate, and about eight years before the slave revolt led by Spartacus. Pretty interesting time. Mm-hmm. Rome was under the iron hand of the dictator Sulla, who, despite being an enemy of the teenage Julius Caesar, will ultimately be an involuntary role model for him. He's the first to march an army on Rome itself to seek lifelong dictatorial powers. And three, my wife wanted to play a monk character, but as you guys discussed in our earlier show, Gary's version in the player's handbook was largely unplayable. The guys on Thacko's Hammer did a discussion on, on the class, too, but basically 2E doesn't have a workable monk class. Luckily, one of the guys had reworked it on his own, is willing to send it to my wife for playtest for him in our campaign. We'll set her upgrading in Han China because the Han Dynasty ruled China in this time period. The character is full-blooded Roman, but was sold by her family to a merchant traveling the Silk Road and eventually found herself sold off again in China. Now she, she she's free on her own and seeking out her Roman heritage. That's kind of cool. I like well, that. I have to interject. I would think the Oriental version, uh, Oriental is actually playable. Yeah, the the OE, yeah, Oriental uh, Adventures oh, one is good, and there's a version of the monk in a Dragon magazine that's pretty good too. Yeah, just the one in the player's handbook doesn't really work out. Well. Yeah, yeah, but the Oriental <laughs> Adventures one, if he has that book, try mm-hmm. that one too. And I don't remember which version of Dragon Magazine there was one in there. It's a little bit different version of Monk, but that's the one I use in my campaign. Well, but, we have our Google Foo experts on file here. Yes. Very hard to find out. <laughs> and for recording regarding my teeny paladin, DM Vince was right. The spell used on him from the magic ring was indeed the reverse of the enlarged spell. Zapped at the paladin at the seventh level of magic user ability. I ultimately ruled consistent with DM Vince, though I absolutely recognize Nick and Chad's logic. I think the more lenient route of letting the shrunk paladin being a full-size falcon help the player a bit more because he just reveled in his unique granted ability for a paladin. He wanted to do a bit of scouting for the party flying over the Arabian desert prior to shifting back to human form. Ha. Huh. I was <clears throat> Those are my thoughts. For the record, I'm working to learn a bit of the ancient Greek language, too. And it makes great lettering for spells, especially in a text-based campaign. Languages make a great basis for campaigns. Oh, Keep yeah. it old school, and thanks again, DM Sir Thomas. Do you want to read the Latin there, Nick? Oh, multas grassi... Oh, my, my Latin is horrible. That's why I got a D in Latin. <laughs> so, there you go. Well, well, you're welcome, DM Sir Thomas. <laughs> languages help campaigns a lot. When I was playing Top Secret SI, I tried to learn a little Russian to throw it in there to be a little fun. Russian's not that hard, but kind of as hard as Latin is. Oh, yeah. And there's so many different versions of Latin. You mm-hmm. have the classical Latin, but you also have ecclesiastical Latin, which came on later on. You have medieval Latin, which is different. <laughs> Matt, did you get any uh, any Google Foo on that monk issue? No. Um, All right, no big deal. Yeah, we can just throw it into yeah, the show. If I, yeah, if I come up with something, I shall throw it into the show notes. Excellent day. <laughs> oh. All right, so that concludes Sage Advice this week. We'll head into our table manners this week. Typical. Of all the evil creatures in the world, we like to find one with table manners. 
What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, folks. Uh, this week's uh, table manners. We're going to be talking about experience, particularly experience points. How you get them? How you distribute them? Do you use Do you use the ever popular one XP for one gold P value sort of thing? XP for magic items. Other ways to get experience points. So we're going to delve into this a little bit. Maybe just for a little bit how it's dealt with in the rules. And then maybe our own unique unique takes on giving experience points. So. Let's uh, let's actually start with a unique take on and let's yeah. discuss how that really kind of works with the game. Now, we've seen people give out experience, obviously. But what about the DM that just says, all right, folks, uh, it's been two sessions. Everybody raise a level. I think that flies with you guys. I mean, I don't really like that at all. I don't. I don't either. It. We. I've played that way before. It works best in systems where the classes require the same amount of experience to level. Yeah. So if you're playing in like a three point five d twenty game where they're all using the same level advancement chart, that's okay. Uh, because I've played that way in three five and it, but in Ooh. first edition, yes, I've played that edition. I know. I, I I hit a bad spot in my life. Um, I was gaming in some back alleys, and I'm not proud of it. But I've since recovered. Okay, good. But in uh, first Game. edition, though, with the, the way the experience level charts are, you're not really expected to have every character in the party be at the same level when adventuring. So does it break the game or not? I don't think it would necessarily break the game. It you just get a di- it gives it a, a different feel in certain classes, particularly magic users, will become far pow- more powerful quicker than they yeah. would otherwise. And whereas, like the rogue actually gets held back, mm. so it, it 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 won't break it. It'll just give it a different feel, and I think yeah. magic users will shine more. Because they're advancing quicker than they should. Yeah, exactly right. And I think to kind of touch on that point, I think that was the whole idea why in first edition, I think you extend this to second and probably basic D&D as well, why there are different experience points charts for the different classes. Because different classes, the the skills used for the different classes are more more are more difficult than others. I mean, for example, swing a sword. And I've done this, so don't everybody get on me about this. I swung a sword in my time a few times. Back in my day. <laughs> you know, learning how to fight with weapons is not necessarily as difficult as a task as trying to maybe... Uh, I guess for a magic user trying to transcribe from his spell book to a scroll. I would think that would be a more of a difficult task. Right. That's hence why, just to give examples, why the experience point charts are different for the different classes because some are more difficult than others. You know? That made sense to me. I'm like, yeah. I mean, look at the real world. Who has a more difficult task? <laughs> Is it easier to flip a burger or to do brain surgery? <laughs> well, it depends on your, your IQ level, too. So, Well, 
just say maybe that's a bad example, but <laughs> now I just thought it. I just thought it made sense for me. Yes, maybe, certain classes are going to be more difficult. To flip two burgers versus one burger. Yes, that's a little bit more difficult, but yeah. still, you're not a neurosurgeon. Yeah, true. So, I I, I played in a game like that, and I really didn't like it because I just didn't think it was all that fair, like you said, because the magic user were really shine. Yeah. More. And a fighter just kind of takes the back seat because as everyone's just getting more powerful than he is. So, mm-hmm. but then again, they say the split experience is what ruined the game, but I don't think so, in my opinion. I don't think so. No, no that's part of the. I think that's a a core. That's a cornerstone of the game, the experience point system. Right. I just, so what was the purpose of when they went on to the Watsi era to make everything just one chart? Uh, they, I think the one chart was they wanted to unify things so you didn't have to worry about split experience. Uh, everyone was leveling at the same time so no one felt left behind. I th- Also, that in doing that, you have to change the classes so they are balanced to have the same level pr- uh, progression. A, yeah. a level three magic user is not the equivalent of a level three fighter, which is not the equivalent of a level three thief. But in later editions, they are comparable. So basically, they sacrificed the uniqueness of the classes for game balance. Yeah. Okay. That all right? I could. I think I could go along with that, and partly probably of dumbing down the system, yeah. but. I don't know if it was dumbing down. I think it was more just streamlining it to make it easier for everybody. Right, yeah. It's just a different It's a different design choice. One man's streamlining is another man's dumbing down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they say I'm the crotchety old grotnard. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to poke the bear today, I guess. I don't know. I think I'm, Nick just took that title away from me there. I, yeah. I'm poking the basilisk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, buy the book experience. You think players can really level up quickly with buy the book? If you just stick straight to the book, I don't think so, to be honest. You have to get more experience than what's listed in the book. Yeah, I agree, and I think, though, that slow progression was very intentional because they – I don't think they really wanted players to run around with 15-level characters doing stuff. There's a reason why. Once you kind of hit 7, 8, 9 – yeah. Campaigns winding down, and I yeah. think that's like an intentional choice because if people are advancing too quickly, they then hit that upper level. Because has anyone here really played super high levels of AD and D? No. So when I got to ninth or tenth, maybe twelfth, the highest when we started to like. Yeah, ninth to twelfth seems to be the kind of the plateau, isn't it? Right, because after that, it's kind of like okay, let's move on to something else. <laughs> And I think they realize that. So if we do the slow progression, you get more uh, game time out of your game as opposed to rushing to level nine and being like, okay, now what? Is it, I would say, is it because maybe because it's the challenge isn't there? I think so. It it requires a different type of game and storytelling to really yeah. challenge a high level party. And when you're thinking of most of like the adventures, a lot of them are like you go out, loot the dungeon or Bruins or whatever, get the stuff and come home. When you're that experienced, do you really need more stuff? Yes, you always need stuff. 
Yeah, the only way I would say you could kind of break out of that to make it interesting for the players, for their characters to have a challenge is, you know, by that time, you're around ninth, 10th level. You're probably going to start plane hopping now. Right. You know? And then... Hell. That that could be... Yeah. I mean, you're doing the, you know, you're going to the nine... You're going to the 666 layers of the abyss, or you're going to go say hi to Thor. You right. Know? Right. It's something like that. But you're, yeah, you're, then, then at that point, you're dealing in the demigods and... Mm-hmm. The, but if you didn't want to be like, okay, doing battles with gods, what do you do? I guess you're trying I, – I guess another way, and I've seen some people comment on this for, on, on forums, is if you're not doing a whole lot of plane hopping, if any at all, you're really going to get more into the politics of the game world. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Fuck. you're going to try to carve out your own little fiefdom. Yeah, start you know making up your own villages and your own towns and, and you know your kingdom, right, right, your armies and actually start doing like battles, mass battles, right. Yeah, then it becomes a more battles. operational level game as opposed to yeah, it becomes more strategic, a more almost to its roots of of war gaming, right. And in that point, your campaigns. I guess my thought is: Are you able to still? You're not able to do ramped up versions of the same type of adventures you did at the lower levels at the higher levels. It just doesn't work. Whereas in newer editions of D and D you can still do your 20th level dungeon crawls. Yeah, yeah. You could do it. And I guess that has all to do with, like, like you said, in the, in the newer versions, the, the power range is a little bit different. Yeah. It's wider in, in it. The scale of it is, more linear so mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a slow ramp up because if you think about it a level 30 character in newer editions would be the equivalent of like a 10th level magic user yeah more 15th more, yeah somewhere 15th. around there yeah it's basically you can take a new le- uh, a character from a newer game divide the level by two and probably be close to the equivalent yeah. of like the ad and so level. I guess uh, in retro in, in looking at as far as experience in first right. edition, it took you longer to level up to higher levels, but the power was greater versus in the newer editions, you can advance really fast, but the number of levels that you got there was twice as much. Right. When I was running my campaign, about a year and a half or two ago, by the time it rolled around six months, my players were just getting at the third level, just getting at the third mm-hmm. level. And that was me being kind of generous with experience too. Right. Yeah. I think my current Greyhawk campaign, which I started back in, I want to say March mm-hmm. and it's November now. Mm-hmm. So it's about six months, right? Yeah. I think there everybody's anywhere between fourth and fifth level. So, yeah, so it's kind of you're you're fast tracking a little bit. Sounds yeah, like yeah, but not much, right? You know, um, yeah. In my Ravenloft game, I've been fast tracking. I've been horribly generous when it comes to large sums of uh, gold, just because I'm giving out the experience for that because I really want to get them to where they can actually go deep into the uh, demi plane. Yeah, I think in the the fifth level characters, just one character. 
Didn't I think he, everybody, everybody else is like third or fourth level right now. Didn't we have a, a listener that said he was gaming for like 30 years and his characters just made it to ninth level? Something That's a wrong time. Yeah, but, hey, if, but then again, he also maybe because they might have had he might have had huge gaps of time where he didn't yeah, play. True. So, right, right. But, but if, they were every but other if you had like a large party of ten people when you kill like four or five orcs, you each maybe get a point. <laughs> yeah. So. And I I guess that goes like into the actual books and how you divvy up experience points, you know? So and I think everybody's done this, you know, you, you, whatever monsters were slain, you total up all the experience points and you divide it equally amongst all the player characters, no matter how insignificant their contribution to the kills were. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and a lot of DMs I, I've played with in the past, like, for instance, the great Joe DM. <gasps> the great Joe? <laughs> he used to like to give individual experience, so he kept track of all that stuff. I don't know how he did it because I could never do it myself. I tried. It's a pain. I do, I do that too on like individual efforts. Well, I guess kind of if we want to go into this, I know, I know if there was like if you single handedly slay a monster, I'm going to give you the full experience points for it. Right, but that's fine. You can make a note of that. But to keep individual track insurance the entire game you're playing. Oh, I couldn't do that. That would take forever. He did it somehow. Oh he went down. He like showed us this little chart that he had with little ticks in here and there, and how much experience he gave for what. And I was like, uh. And that's what? the great Joe DM. Yeah, he explained it to me twice. I still never got it. <laughs> wow. Sounds like he enjoyed math. Right. There's actually in a uh, Dragon Magazine issue thirty six. Uh, a alternate system for experience. It talks about giving experience based on per hit point of damage dealt to the monster, opposed, oh. as opposed to just splitting it all equally through the party. That must be for the math geeks out there. Yeah, because yeah. it's like I'm. It has a chart, and you figure out like the AC and the hit points and what the base EP is per point. So it's like for magical or enchanted monsters. It gives a base of 10 experience points per damage inflicted, multiplied by the difference between the monster's AC and 10. So if it's a level 2 monster, so if it has an AC of 2, okay, you sub, uh, so you multiply 10 by 8, so you get 80 experience points All for right. every hit point dealt. Whoa. And then for non-magical, it's five with the same multiplier. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. And then sounds oh no. Yeah. So <clears throat> it uh, yeah. Now, kind of going along with you know, sticking with the the monsters, getting experience points for for defeating them. Now, I've had people they've when when they think of defeating the monster, they think of you you've killed it and they only give experience points for killing the monster now i've had other people they think when defeating the monster or let's or let's just say encounter you defeated the encounter and that could be slaying the monster or maybe um entrapping them somehow or maybe even evading them mm-hmm. now, how though or I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I wouldn't say evading them, but um, 
say they overcame it in some fashion without killing the creature. They subdued it. And there's lots of, they subdued it some way. Or they there's lots of creative ways of defeating a creature, obviously, like putting it to sleep. Or or, or uh, maybe you shrunk it. You did the, you shrunk down a uh, basilisk. You know, you didn't kill it, but you shrunk it down. And you stuck it in your pocket. I don't know. You technically defeated the creature. Do, do you get experience points for it? Yeah. I say yes. Yeah. Because you defeated that encounter. There are some DMs I'll say, no, you didn't kill it. You'll get the experience points for it. Too bad. Well, defeating it in creative ways would still be defeating it. So I would think so. I would think so. Not everything has to be killed. So no, but there are some DMs there. I've read. I've read this that they they're they're very adamant. That's like you. In order to get the experience points for the creature, you have to slay the creature. And to me, that just seems a little. That would even make it harder to get experience points in your in your game as well. If you don't slay, you'll get experience points for it. Even though, like, you know. Lord Vartan, the strong, who's your seventh level fighter, took his plus three bastard sword and, and swept the head off of a of a red dragon. Uh, he, you know, he subdued a red dragon. But you'll get experience points for subduing that red dragon, even though he's not dead. Come on, yeah. give me a break. <laughs> Did they have rules in basic for subduing? You still get the experience points. I think. Yeah. Good. So anyway, it said defeating, and even in basic, it said defeating by subdual. Subdual. Mm-hmm. Excuse me would give you the full experience. So I don't know why that wasn't carried over. Yeah. I mean, even it says in the, the DMG page 84 tricking or outwitting monsters or overcoming tricks, tricks and or traps placed to guard treasure must be determined subjectively with level of experience balanced against the degree of difficulty you assign to the gaining of the treasure. So that's, you know, that's treasure, but well, I, you I, get well, experience points for defeating that creature. Evading the creature isn't running away. What about that? Well, if by running away from it, did you, are you ad- accomplishing what your task is? Or are you fleeing because it'll eat you? Fleeing because it's going to eat me and I realize I've been outnumbered. That's, not, def- yeah, that's, that's not, not defeating overcoming. it. Yeah, that's <laughs> not overcoming it. So. But maybe, like, say, for example, you... Um, come across, you're in a subterranean area, and you come across a uh, a drow uh, war party. So okay. They have like 20 drow. You're obviously you're out you're outgunned. You're outgunned like you know two to one basically. But you have a way of maybe getting around them. You could slip by them. You know, either you know, turn your guys your cells invisible, use move silently, you know, thieves move silently, whatever it that may be, teleport. I don't know, but you went past the encounter. You didn't get caught or anything. Do you get experience points for that? I guess you get experience points for sneaking past the encounter. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what I would think, and that's where I think where the whole subjective thing comes into. I think that's why they he put that in the rules. Like, okay, maybe you don't get full experience. Maybe you only get half. You know, would something you, like that. Would you get experience for this, Nick? Your your party's in there, and you're fighting a bunch of lizard men, for example. Okay. And it comes down to two lizard men and you. The rest of your party is full, and so you're like, oh, crap. So you decide to run. So you run, and <laughs> the lizard man decides to check a spear at you, but he rolls a one, and that spear goes into his buddy's head, 
which falls on the ground. He trips over his buddy and then cracks his neck, so the two of them just get killed. Do you get experience for that or not? Uh, it's kind of like a- <laughs> again, that's another subjective thing. I guess me as the DM, yeah, I would give experience points for that. Yeah, because you're fleeing caused them to uh, do something stupid right (laughs) so yeah i could see that happening now it throws a spear into the back guy's back head him that wizard man falls but he falls his he fails his dexterity check to jump over him as he's falling and he trips and breaks his neck yeah yeah or impales himself on that's just dumb luck (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i would give experience points for that i would if i was a dm i would too as the player i mean i just take my experience points when i can get them I mean, I don't know. I just uh, I I just know that um, when I'm looking at the the DMG, when they talk about division experience points, yeah. I found this very interesting. It's when it's just so weird when you think you know all the rules and you read through things again. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> It says division of experience points on page 85. How treasure is divided is actually in the realm of the player's decision. That's interesting. I don't remember Experience points for slain monsters, however, is strictly your prerogative as in yours as the DM. Okay. I think this is one of those things where um, it's kind of a given. You know, I've always had it where when they get the treasure – because you can't really exclude treasure from the experience points uh, discussion, you know. When you give out the treasure, being it magical, coinage, uh, or other little knickknacks, I've always had it. They handle that. There's always some guy who's in the party, who's the party treasurer, and he keeps track of every copper piece, every gem. And they divvy it up how they want to, or they want to keep it. Okay, we're going to keep this in the party treasury. How many of us use that one? I may think almost everybody does. We're going to keep this in the party treasury. You know, this is for something that we're going to use, you know, whatever. I mean, I've had some players even, uh, they'll keep magic items in the party treasury. And then going on with the experience point thing, if it's in the party treasury, you don't get experience points for it if it's a magic item. But, uh, I thought that was really good that he had to define that, how the treasures divvied up. That's the player characters. That's Mm -hmm. their realm. But as far as overall experience points, that's the DM's job. That's what he does. With magic items, do you, if a player character were to decide, okay, this is the, I'm keeping this magic item for myself. Do you award experience points for that magic item at that point or when they sell it? Now, see, here's the thing. There's two listings and people, I think, get this confused. I could be wrong on this, but this is how I interpreted it. Magic items. You get experience points for the magic items when you gain them, which is on the XP chart for that magic item. Plus, if you sell that item, you get the XP for the gold piece value, too. Oh, so you double dip. Yeah. 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 But how many of us really want to give up that plus five bastard sword of wounding for the gold pieces that get the XP? Depends how desperate you are. Yeah, I don't think so. 
No. Yeah. Or, or you know, your staff of the Magi that you finally got a hold of. I don't think you're going to sell that. I think you're going to hold on to that magic item, get the XPs for just the item, and not sell it for the gold piece yeah. XP value. So maybe the gold piece XP value was put in there as just kind of enticement to prevent player characters from hoarding magic items. Possibly. Another way to look at it, that that might be one way of looking at it, I th- and I think that's very valid. Because if you look, not a whole lot of magic items for most player characters. Um, also gives, uh, in, uh, I would say, some incentive if you're short on gold. Some of those um, disposable magic items like potions or scrolls, you could sell them off, get not only the gold for them, but the XP value through the gold that you sold them for. And those are, those aren't, you know, those aren't huge, big ticket items, you know? Right. But a couple hundred oh. gold, it's under a cup of gold. Yeah. I mean, like a potion of flying, uh, the, the experience point value is 300 just for the potion, but it's 400 gold pieces. So I'm, a gaseous form is, yeah, it's 300 experience point value, and GP value is 400. So you get 400 experience points if you get 400 gold for it. Oh, no. Not a lot, but if you needed that gold for something, hey. Okay. I just thought of a problem here, though. What's that? That, But if you uh, you could have the player, okay, you have a magic item, you sell it, you make, and for you get the experience points for the gold you get. Then you buy a magic item with that gold. To get the experience for gaining the magic item, to sell it for the gold, to get the experience that, for the gold, and you make a for loop. that same magic item. Yes. <laughs> no, you can't do that. So it's it's one time. That's a one time. Okay. Thing. Yes, because I could see, or maybe they buy, they go to like ye old potion shop. They sell mm-hmm. the potion of flying, then they buy another potion to sell that potion to buy another potion. Well, if they're different types of potions. Yes. So you could, in theory, if you had a bunch of different potions around the same cost, basically farm XP. If you're if you're trying to game the system like you are, theoretically, yes, you could. <laughs> yeah. So you could have a player who – so be careful of the amount of similarly cost magic items you stick together if you have that type of dinky I- player in your game. I guess you could do something like that until, you know, you have to start paying taxes on it. And then the mad, then the mages guild is going to get word of like, what's going on with all these potions exchange here and there. I don't right. know. Then, then all of a sudden there's other ways for DMs to be creative so they can break what you're trying to do. Then they accuse <laughs> you of money laundering and just trying to obfuscate the, your, the books. Uh, experience points laundering. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> XP laundering. There's a new one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean that's you know that I I but as far as your original question, I've always awarded the experience point for the magic item right there. Yeah, that's I, how I, I don't do. wait. I mean, it, I think this is too tedious. Right. I've heard some people say they consider the benefit of having the magic item being the the equivalent of having that experience. So until you get rid of the magic item, you don't actually gain those experience points. I never heard of that before. 
I've always liked. I, in my experience of gaming, once you have identified the magic item and it's in your position, you get the experience points for it. Yeah, I've never done that because you can always lose that item. So, no. How do you do experience points for magic items? Then? I do it when you sell it. Really? Mm-hmm. If you sell it, yeah. Or, or, or if you secure it in a base and keep it secure. Huh. Adventuring, no. I don't give it to you because there's always that chance that, you know, you could lose it or that rust monster comes by. So, no. Well, those are the chances you take. Right. Or, or what if someone uh, someone ends up stealing your plus five bastard sword and then you go retrieve it again? I would assume you wouldn't get the experience for finding another plus five bastard sword. Nope. If, if you retrieve the same one. Okay. If we use that logic, what about gold piece for XP? I do it uh, every – normally it's every five gold pieces for one experience. So what if someone, um, you know – well, someone got pickpocketed and they had that 200 gold pieces taken from them. Someone snatched their pouch and they took where gold pieces were in there. Do you lose the experience points from that gold pieces you gained? Yes, you do because you're not securing it by the end of the adventure. Huh. Gold is based, according to what the book says, gold is based upon when you secure it by the end of the session. So, Well, that's what I mean. What do you mean? If you're saying it's stolen during the session, then it wouldn't count. So you only award gold for XP if, one, you spend it, or two, it's in your Scrooge McDuck money bin. Yeah, by the end of the the session, if it's not secured, like if it was stolen, then you don't get the experience for it. Or would you consider it secured if they still had it in, like, their belt pouch at the end of the session? That's fine, as long as it's on them at the end of the adventure. Like, if you find, for example, you and Nick are adventuring, and you find a treasure chest of 10,000 gold, you're like, woohoo, I'm going to get all this experience, because that's how I act. Uh, And then by the time you're running around the adventure, you're like, ah, crap, we need to run. You drop that gold? Nope. You don't get the experience for it because you got rid of it because you chose life over that gold. So that's how I work it. Okay. It's not for everybody, but I think that's how it should be. You can't. So you, according to your thing is you found 10,000 gold, but you ditched it in the cave. So you're still going to give experience for that. If it's still theirs, they found it. Maybe they're just securing it in that cave. That's their secure place. Mm, no. Not if you're running from a monster and you decide to ditch it. Well, if they're deciding to ditch it, then that's different. You're saying that they found the gold. That's their experience right there. I don't award experience until the very end anyway, until the end of the session anyway. Right. You always, well, most DMs do it that way. I've seen some in the middle. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Normal. I've, I've actually... And when we're, now that I kind of brought up the gold piece for experience point thing, I never did that before. I never gave gold piece for experience points until this campaign. I decided to try it out. First time and, I ever done it. And, and the person who's the bookkeeper is being like a dot, gosh darn bookkeeper. He's like, yeah, it's. What did you expect? It's getting complicated. But that's on them. Yeah. So, they're, it, it's, 
it's interesting, but uh, that's one thing I don't have to track. <laughs> but uh, they know one gold piece per experience points, and, and they have that secured, whatever secured may be for them, being a bag of holding or in their pouch. Okay, they get the experience points for it. So, but I, it's, it's the magic items, I always give it right. Or, I give the magic item experience points at the end of the adventure. I don't give it right away after the encounter, no. But I give it at the end of the, the that game session. Well, I've mostly seen the give experience out during the game in later editions. When I were playing in a third edition game, the GM did, or I should say DM, sorry. Uh, after we fought some monsters, we had a big long rest. And he's like, okay, since we have this long rest period, you all gain 375 experience for the last couple of things you guys did. You did it like that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the only way I I give out experience at the end of the session as well, the only way I could see doing that is maybe if you were planning, oh, we're doing like an all-day 12-hour marathon session just every so often, okay, here's the experience points accumulated so far. So that way, if people are leveling up during the course of this marathon session, but as for just randomly during it, no, mm-hmm. it just, I, it would, I could see someone hitting their level, especially in later editions and be like, okay, I'm leveling up now. So I need my book. I need to pick my spells, get my skills. And next thing you know, you kill it, lost like 30 minutes of game time because everyone's leveling. Well, I use the first 30 minutes of my game to always recap and hand out experience from the previous week. Yeah. I usually hand out experience at the very end of the session as we're leaving. So that way, if people want to level up on their own time, they can already have them done or during the recap, do some quick leveling. Well, I've noticed not to do that, especially playing in gaming stores. Because if you say at the end of your session, okay, that's a thousand experience, whatever, for example, a thousand yeah. experience points, two people in the group, oh, I leveled, oh, I leveled, okay, well, I'll have it done by the next time, I'll have it done by the next time we play, and all of a sudden, boom, that character is magically changed into this massive, automatically killing machine that you, you're you like, huh? Yeah, that, that that's the difference. When you're gaming with a bunch of friends and you know you can trust them and they're just there to have fun as opposed to power game, then you can do that. It really depends on your group. Right. Like I said, the gaming store versus home. Home, you're going to yeah. be like, all right, you guys got a thousand experience. Just make sure you're leveled up by next time. No biggie. Right. Gaming store, no. I was like, okay, I'll give you your experience next start of the session. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't trust people, so. Yeah, I've never really gamed at a game store, so that's a whole new world. I have. To me. Oh, yeah. It's a different social dynamic, for sure. Well, there's players I could trust in, in the gaming store group. I know that'll be like, all right, 1,000 experience, got it, level up. Perfect. But then there's those couple of people I know in the group that'll be like, Mu-ha-ha. yeah. My chance to screw up my character, the DM will never know. Like I said, cheat, you're only cheating yourself, so. Yeah. And now, when we're talking about this gold piece for XP thing. Yeah. um, There's the one note in the player's handbook that made me change my mind about this. I was adamant for years, like, I don't do gold piece for XP. It doesn't make sense to me. There's one paragraph in here that made me change my mind. If you uh, let me, I'll read this. It says, no, page 85, the DMG, players who balk at equating gold pieces to experience points should be gently but firmly reminded 
that in a game, certain compromises must be made. So that's telling right there, I think, that, you know, there has to be some sort of compromise here. While it is more, while it is more quote, realistic for clerics for studying holy writings, pray, chant, practice self-discipline, etc., to gain experience, it would not make a playable game roll along. Similarly, fighters should be exercising, writing, writing, smiting pelts, tilting at the lists, and engaging in weapons practice of various sorts to gain real experience. Magic users should be deciphering old scrolls, searching ancient tomes, experimenting alchemically, and so forth, whilst thieves should spend their off hours Excuse me, honing their skills, mm-hmm. watching potential victims. All very realistic, but conductive to non-gaming boredom. I think with that paragraph, it makes a lot of sense to me now. Yeah. That the XP for gold thing is used in light of those other mundane things that might happen in between, you know, adventures from dungeon to dungeon. You know? Yeah. So I have to apologize to everybody. After reading that paragraph, I did introduce that in my current campaign, and I'm pretty good with it. Now, going beyond that, I do award experience points for other things for, like, individual characters, you know, for things that they do, you know? Mm -hmm. I still do that. Well, yeah, you you should. You should reward players for things. And I like to reward a lot of role-playing points. I know that's not always that fair. Yeah. Because you have those players that will sit there quietly and do the, I follow. Or, yeah, I do what he does. Those type of people. And I don't think those people should get the same rewards as the person that sits there and interacts. and Oh, no. Yeah. Describes, you know, flipping their sword or rolling around the this this and that. No, sorry. Too bad. You don't you don't act out and you're not gonna get yeah. the experience for it. You're not gonna one get that bonus, I should say. One of the things I borrowed from uh when I was uh still DMing Hackmaster fourth edition, they have a individual class awards chart. Yeah. I kinda use it as a guideline. It's really I think it's really good. If you wanna um give individual awards for like uh, for fighter class, um um, expert marksmanship, which means, I mean, in the game you have critical hits, but if you don't have that, maybe number of natural 20s that, you know, three or more natural 20s you've done in combat. Maybe give experience points for that. I don't know. Um, uh, for clerics and magic users, heroic spell cast. Maybe it was a real tight situation and they had a heroic or an ingenious way of casting a spell. You know, a unique way of using a spell in a in a situation. That falls so, under play as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but just kind of giving it a a name. Mm-hmm. You know, disarming a trap for thieves. Give experience points for that. You know. Well, that was always, I thought standard with first edition too. Yeah. Give it how it anyway. Mm-hmm. So you know, those are just a few things uh, that you can give like experience points for for individuals and i also have my two that the one i stole from playing vampire the masquerade the most valuable player of the night mvp yeah hackmaster has that too yeah all right and then um the the extra bonus 100 d20 roll off i call it <laughs> mm-hmm. everybody just rolls a d20 the highest number wins ties we roll uh-huh 
And then that person gets the extra. That way, it's just it's random like every time. So yeah, I got ones like you know, for player has a clever idea, player has an idea that saves the party, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You can have individual roles. I guess that all falls into the role play umbrella. Kind of, yeah. So, and I guess you just and a and a gauge for that. Uh, I use like a hundred experience points uh, per the level of the character. I I use that as a gauge for a lot of that stuff. MVP so, probably a little more, but so if they're five, they're fifth level, they get five hundred experience. Yeah. Oh, all right. It's kind of a lot. Well. But remember, maybe it's an idea that saves the party. <laughs> well, that's so, where they become MVP, though. <clears throat> so I think I don't know. Depends, like you said, depends on the gamer. Yeah, and also you could you could be as subjective as you want about it. Maybe you could give less, give more. It all depends. But at least it gives you a kind of a baseline to go by. So those are some of the, the tools I use as a DM for Man. like individual awards. I know. But I know there's some DMs out there, they don't do that. They just go, buy the book, XP for treasure, monsters, role play. You don't get anything for that. Was that your diddly squat sound? Yeah, that was my diddly squat yeah. sound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty much how experience is. How do you do your experience? Might be a good idea to write us in. Just tell us what you do in your group so we can share it with other listeners. RFISTAFF at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail if you're wandering around jogging right now or <laughs> some physical activity. Gamers acti- jogging? Well, there are some that do. Oh, some physical oh, activity outside of here. Well, maybe taking a walk, listening to our show. A lot of fans like to take a walk or something. Or I'll walk. I won't jog. No. No, yeah, well, fine. That, <laughs> your, your heart attack cafe over there. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, yeah, so just just write us, RFISTAFF, gmail.com. Give us your opinion. We always like to hear your opinion. And uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline, if you don't feel like writing, you just feel like describing. Mm-hmm. Go for it. And we'll head into Creature uh, Feature Theater. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature Feature Theater. It's alive! It's alive! And now in Creature Feature, we're actually going to talk not about a specific monster, but changing a little bit about the monsters, particularly the advancement for their ability to hit and their saving throws, because if we go to this dragon magazine here that I'm holding in my hands <gasps> right here. Yes, listeners out there, if you can guess this issue right now at this specific moment in time, you get a no prize. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, this issue mm-hmm. uh, in Ledman's Tiny Hut, uh, oh. drag, Dragon Magazine uh, 80 on page 48. Uh, I just they, gave it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, you, you get your no prize now. Uh, yeah. They came up with an alternate uh, combat matrix chart going off the 5% principle that you see in later editions. So instead of having a fighter, when they advance on certain levels, they actually don't get better to hit. You start seeing some duplicates. 
yeah. numbers. This levels the all instead of having those jumps where you advance a level, you get nothing. Then the next level, you actually go up ten percent. This chart levels it out so every level a fighter goes up, they get a plus five percent chance to hit. That using this concept, Len, with the help of Gary, uh, extrapolated that to all classes and monsters. So this is just an another way to you can change your game a little bit. So when the fighter advances, they're like, "Oh, my two hit is nothing changes about a fighter as they go up in level, other than they get a few more hit points." This helps make the fighter feel like, "Hey, I'm actually growing." When under the base rules, they're not. Um, when going through the chart, there it follows that general principle. Uh, but there are a few changes. Like a first level magic user, it's actually harder on this chart for them to hit. Yeah. Than it is a on the in the DMG. Like to hit an AC a ten at a first level, they have to roll in a twelve, whereas in the DMG it's an eleven. Also, if you go and look, the, the monsters with hit points are like 1 to 2 and 1 to 4. They're distinguished from each other as opposed to being lumped together. Mm-hmm. So the those And then it goes into the hit dice. Right. Yes, because they when looking at the hit dice of monsters, when you get like four hit dice plus 1 and the four hit dice plus 4, the plus the 4 plus 4 is lumped in with a level 5, 4 plus 1's lumped in with a level 4. So these charts also help smooth that out as well. Because really, the, the hit of a monster was in their levels was more based off their saving throws than their actual attack. Yeah. The way they're grouped. So I'm looking at like a three hit dice monster to hit AC 10 would be a six or better. How is that different from... The original chart. So I said a how many hit dice did I say? Uh, uh, three hit dice three hit monster. Di- yeah, three hit dice monster. And if they hit armor class ten, as we dig out all through all the charts, you would need a six or better. Right. Whereas well, actually, it's the same. Right, but it's when you get into the pluses. Yeah, I see where you get – so if you had a three plus, plus four, four hit dice monster. So they're taking the pluses into consideration now. Right, because uh, – yeah, so for the monsters, they were adjust – this chart adjusts depending on if it's a plus four or a plus one because that – I see. Yes. Well, on the original chart, it's like, okay, two to three hit dice creatures hit here while – it's two plus four hit dice creatures to three plus three hit dice creatures hit here. I get it. So they're taking those those plus pips yeah. into consideration on this chart. Right. Interesting. And they, and they readjusted those. So that way a, a three plus three is not hitting the same as a two plus three. Mm-hmm. But under the old yeah. system, it they do. They did. They did. I don't, you know what? I like this. Yeah. I kind of like this. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, it just makes those plus mo- three plus monsters just a, l- a hair more deadly. Not a lot. Yeah. Most players won't notice, but it's an extra 5% swing 
that just makes them a little tougher. It, it makes it's going to make it would make combat on both sides, either for the player characters or for the monsters, probably just that much more difficult. Yeah, you're going to be hitting just a slight bit more with these new swings on both ends because everything's based off that plus five and plus five increments of advancement. Because you, you'll find when you look at the charts outside of like your level zero man at arm levels, once you get to where like a level one fighter's hitting on a 20 on the chart, uh, uh, well, a level one, fi- yeah. When you get a le- to a level one fighter, once you get to that progression, everything is you going up, f- uh, one on your two hit. That's interesting. So it's removed all those double numbers. So and- if I if I read this right, a third level fighter uh, to hit AC five on this chart would be a thirteen. Yes. On the old way, it would be the same, but the old way has three and four lumped together. Right, but then, so, but when they a, hit a twelfth, uh, a fourth level fighter on the new chart, to hit AC five is a twelve. Right, what? But in the old way, it's a thirteen. Yeah, but then once a fighter on the old chart hits level five, what are they hitting at? Uh, AC five, or no? Once they're level five, hitting an AC five. Uh, fifth level fighter AC five eleven or better. Right, so on the old chart. It, Three and four were hitting at 13. Then you jump to 11. To 11. This, and once you hit four, you go up to 12. To 12. So it's... Then 11. It's more incremental. Right. It's more. It's a more linear advancement. <laughs> I see. So that way you distinguish between that third and fourth level fighter outside of hit points. You know what? I kind of like that. Yeah. I think I kind of do. What do you think, Vince? I think it's a little interesting and something different to do. I don't know. Yeah, you know. And then also, if you go deeper into the article, it the saving throw it has an adjusted saving throw chart as well. Mm. So, because and that's more incremental too, right? Instead of having massive number jumps, it's your every level you're actually progressing. As opposed to having those spots where three and four levels of a fighter, you're not going under the old system. You're not going to notice much difference in your character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On this, you will. So it, it's a new take on it, and it also has adjusted XP rewards for monsters as well, based off these new numbers. So it's just an interesting way to change up first edition AD&D. So it's, it actually is starts resembling more of the linear experience later editions brought to the charts. Hmm. And while at the same time being in the AD&D mold. Yes. So. Wow. Yeah. It's something interesting to look at. And with this, uh, Gary did have input into it, so for those who are like, oh, it's in Dragon and it wasn't written by Gary, we can't count it. No, Gary did have input into this and did help flesh out these charts. I'm going to have to read this, the whole thing, because 
I remember the article and I was and I'm sure at the time I was like, man, what do I need this for? It looks really complicated because at the time I was 12. What the hell I knew then, you know, robot two or 12. Man, I don't need this one anymore. Right. It's like, whatever. I was 12, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All I wanted to do was game. I I, I wasn't even DMing. I was just playing. I was a player. So I didn't give a damn then. But now as a, as a experienced DM, I'm going to give this a second look. Yeah, it's like with the saving throws. It says a four-hit die monster in the DMG saves as a fourth-level fighter, while one with a four-plus-one to a four-plus-four saves as a fifth level. So that means the experience points you're getting is actually more based off the saving throw of the monster, mm-hmm. not the hit point. Not the hit, not the hit dice. So that's why they have the adjusted saving throw chart and the adjusted experience point mm-hmm. chart to go with it. So once you tweak one, you need to adjust just the everything other. as well. It's all connected. Yes. Oh. In a way it, there is game balance in AD and D. It's just horribly Shh. obfuscated at times. Yeah. Shh. It's not. Buddy. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was our secret. Damn. Oh no. I broke kayfabe. Oh. <laughs> you broke the fourth wall, Matt. Yeah. Oh. This is really cool. So Dragon Magazine issue 80. Yep. Dragon Magazine issue 80. Ledman's Leoman's Tiny Hut. Yes. Yeah. With Leonard Lakofka, who's still around, who's still doing stuff. Yep. Yeah, he's doing stuff for Gygax Magazine. Yep. Yeah. I like his, uh, his expansion on the L series mm. for the... Uh, pretty pretty fun stuff so i'm gonna have to but definitely i'm gonna look at this again yeah and if anyone out there's actually used this chart before write it in and let us know how it went yeah i'm curious about using this now too yeah i mean uh i would like to see how hear from somebody they've used this method how it played out in their campaign and if it really makes a difference for bad or for good right all right, again, that issue was for people who just kind of paid attention now. Yeah. Issue Dragon Pacific. Magazine, issue 80. And a month's tiny hut, and it starts on page 48. Eight. Starts on All page right, so there you go, folks. Yeah. I guess that's going to conclude the show this week. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Sorry for my coughing, folks. <laughs> well, we'll excuse it this time, Nick. All right, I'll be over my cold. Yeah. All right, so tune in next time, and we'll have another show for you. And Keep it original, keep it old school, and good night. Good night, everyone. Bye, everybody. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.